Today is the fourth day of November. Welcome to the Daily Audio Bible. And here we are at the end of another week. A week that has switched months for us and launched us into the 11th month of the year. And day by day, we get closer to the destination, the completion of the Bible. But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. We have much territory to cover And we'll take the next step forward into the scriptures today. So we've been reading from the Good News Translation this week, which is what we'll do today. Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 1 through 11, verse 25 today. I looked at the dome over the heads of the living creatures and above them was something that seemed to be a throne made of sapphire. God said to the man wearing linen clothes, Go between the wheels under the creatures and fill your hands with burning coals, and scatter the coals over the city. I watched him go. The creatures were standing to the south of the temple when he went in, and a cloud filled the inner courtyard. The dazzling light of the Lord's presence rose up from the creatures and moved to the entrance of the temple. Then the cloud filled the temple, and the courtyard was blazing with the light. The noise made by the creatures' wings was heard even in the outer courtyard. It sounded like the voice of Almighty God. When the Lord commanded the man wearing linen clothes to take some fire from between the wheels that were under the creatures, the man went in and stood by one of the wheels. One of the creatures reached his hand into the fire that was there among them, picked up some coals, and put them in the hands of the man in linen. The man took the coals and left. I saw that each creature had what looked like a human hand under each of its wings. I also saw that there were four wheels, all alike, one beside each creature. The wheels shone like precious stones, and each one had another wheel which intersected it at right angles. When the creatures moved, they could go in any direction without turning. They all moved together in the direction they wanted to go, without having to turn around. Their bodies, backs, hands, wings, and wheels were covered with eyes. I heard a voice calling out, Whirling wheels. Each creature had four faces. The first was the face of a bull, the second a human face, the third the face of a lion, and the fourth, the face of an eagle. They were the same creatures that I had seen by the Kaba River. When the creatures rose in the air and moved, the wheels went with them. Whenever they spread their wings to fly, the wheels still went with them. When the creatures stopped, the wheels stopped. And when the creatures flew, the wheels went with them because the creatures controlled them. 
Then the dazzling light of the Lord's presence left the entrance of the temple and moved to a place above the creatures. They spread their wings and flew up from the earth while I was watching, and the wheels went with them. They paused at the east gate of the temple, and the dazzling light was over them. I recognized them as the same creatures which I had seen beneath the God of Israel at the Kabar River. Each of them had four faces, four wings, and what looked like a human hand under each wing. Their faces looked exactly like the faces I had seen by the Kabar River. Each creature moved straight ahead. God's Spirit lifted me up and took me to the east gate of the temple. There, near the gate, I saw twenty-five men, including Jeazaniah, son of Azur, and Pelatiah, son of Benaiah, two leaders of the nation. God said to me, Mortal man, these men make evil plans and give bad advice in this city. They say, We will soon be building houses again. The city is like a cooking pot and we are like the meat in it, but at least it protects us from the fire. Now then, denounce them, mortal man. The Spirit of the Lord took control of me, and the Lord told me to give the people this message. People of Israel, I know what you are saying and what you are planning. You have murdered so many people here in this city that the streets are full of corpses. So this is what I, the Sovereign Lord, am saying to you. This city is a cooking pot, all right. But what is the meat? The corpses of those you have killed. You will not be here. I will throw you out of the city. Are you afraid of swords? I will bring soldiers with swords to attack you. I will take you out of the city and hand you over to foreigners. I have sentenced you to death and you will be killed in battle in your own country. Then everyone will know that I am the Lord. This city will not protect you the way a pot protects the meat in it. I will punish you wherever you may be in the land of Israel. You will know that I am the Lord and that while you were keeping the laws of neighboring nations, you were breaking my laws and disobeying my commands. While I was prophesying, Pelatiah dropped dead. I threw myself face downward on the ground and shouted, No, Sovereign Lord, are you going to kill everyone left in Israel? The Lord spoke to me. Mortal man, he said, the people who live in Jerusalem are talking about you and those of your nation who are in exile. They say, the exiles are too far away to worship the Lord. He has given us possession of the land. Now tell your fellow exiles what I am saying. I am the one who sent them to live in far-off nations and scattered them in other countries. Yet, for the time being, I will be present with them in the lands where they have gone. So tell them what I, 
the Sovereign Lord am saying, I will gather them out of the countries where I scattered them and will give the land of Israel back to them. When they return, they are to get rid of all the filthy, disgusting idols they find. I will give them a new heart and a new mind. I will take away their stubborn heart of stone and will give them an obedient heart. Then they will keep my laws and faithfully obey all my commands. They will be my people and I will be their God. But I will punish the people who love to worship filthy, disgusting idols. I will punish them for what they have done. The Sovereign Lord has spoken. The living creatures began to fly, and the wheels went with them. The dazzling light of the presence of the God of Israel was over them. Then the dazzling light left the city and moved to the mountain east of it. In the vision, the Spirit of God lifted me up and brought me back to the exiles in Babylonia. Then the vision faded, and I told the exiles everything that the Lord had shown me. Hebrews 6 Let us go forward, then, to mature teaching and leave behind us the first lessons of the Christian message. We should not lay again the foundations of turning away from useless works and believing in God, of the teachings about baptisms and the laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment. Let us go forward, and this is what we will do if God allows. For how can those who abandon their faith be brought back to repent again? They were once in God's light. They tasted heaven's gift and received their share of the Holy Spirit. They knew from experience that God's word is good and they had felt the powers of the coming age. And then they abandoned their faith. It is impossible to bring them back to repent again, because they are again crucifying the Son of God and exposing Him to public shame. God blesses the soil which drinks in the rain that often falls on it, and which grows plants that are useful to those for whom it is cultivated. But if it grows thorns and weeds, it is worth nothing. It is in danger of being cursed by God and will be destroyed by fire. But even if we speak like this, dear friends, we feel sure about you. We know that you have the better blessings that belong to your salvation. God is not unfair. He will not forget the work you did or the love you showed for him and the help you gave and are still giving to other Christians. Our great desire is that each of you keep up your eagerness to the end so that the things you hope for will come true. We do not want you to become lazy, but to be like those who believe and are patient 
and so receive what God has promised. When God made his promise to Abraham, he made a vow to do what he had promised. Since there was no one greater than himself, he used his own name when he made his vow. He said, I promise you that I will bless you and give you many descendants. Abraham was patient, and so he received what God had promised. When we make a vow, we use the name of someone greater than ourselves, and the vow settles all arguments. To those who were to receive what he promised, God wanted to make it very clear that he would never change his purpose, so he added his vow to the promise. There are these two things, then, that cannot change and about which God cannot lie. So we who have found safety with him are greatly encouraged to hold firmly to the hope placed before us. We have this hope as an anchor for our lives. It is safe and sure and goes through the curtain of the heavenly temple into the inner sanctuary. On our behalf, Jesus has gone in there before us and has become a high priest forever in the priestly order of Melchizedek. Psalm 105, 16-36 The Lord sent famine to their country, and took away all their food. But he sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who had been sold as a slave. His feet were kept in chains, and an iron collar was around his neck, until what he had predicted came true. The word of the Lord proved him right. Then the king of Egypt had him released. The ruler of nations set him free. He put him in charge of his government and made him ruler over all the land with power over the king's officials and authority to instruct his advisors. Then Jacob went to Egypt and settled in that country. The Lord gave many children to his people and made them stronger than their enemies. He made the Egyptians hate his people and treat his servants with deceit. Then he sent his servant Moses and Aaron, whom he had chosen. They did God's mighty acts and performed miracles in Egypt. God sent darkness on the country, but the Egyptians did not obey his command. He turned their rivers into blood and killed all their fish. Their country was overrun with frogs. Even the palace was filled with them. God commanded and flies and gnats swarmed throughout the whole country. He sent hail and lightning on their land instead of rain. He destroyed their grapevines and fig trees and broke down all the trees. He commanded and the locusts came, countless millions of them. They ate all the plants in the land. They ate all the crops. He killed the firstborn sons of all the families of Egypt. 
Proverbs 27, 1 and 2. Never boast about tomorrow. You don't know what will happen between now and then. Let other people praise you, even strangers. Never do it yourself. Okay, so in the book of Hebrews today, the last verse that we read, we encounter an interesting name that harkens back to the Old Testament. The verse reads, On our behalf, Jesus has gone in there before us and has become a high priest forever in the priestly order of Melchizedek. And tomorrow when we uh, encounter the book of Hebrews, we'll be hearing much more about Melchizedek. And so we probably need to talk about him a little bit. And so I'm going to start that today by just kind of explaining who Melchizedek is and where he shows up in the Bible. And we'll probably only get through the Old Testament part of that, but we'll talk about it more tomorrow. So who is Melchizedek and why is he compared to Jesus in the book of Hebrews? Now, when you start digging into that territory, it starts getting complicated really fast and the waters get very murky. And you find everything from remarkable correlations to fantastical things that you would expect to read in an adventure or fantasy novel. So if you want to lose yourself down that rabbit hole, there's plenty of stuff to read about it. But if you want to stick to uh, biblical scholarship, then you still got a lot of thoughts about a lot of things. So we don't have several hours to talk about this. And I am nowhere near a leading expert on it. But over time, I have done enough research and scholarship on it to at least give us some context and a little bit of a baseline. Maybe just like a little platform from which you can do as many deep dives as you personally want to do. But in terms of what we do here every day as we go through a portion of scripture and apply it to our lives, context is important. So let's try to get some context. Melchizedek is a figure that first appears in the Bible in the book of Genesis chapter 14. And obviously we read that many months ago, back in uh, the month of January. The story is about Abraham and Lot and a battle uh, where there were five kings against four kings and Lot was captured and taken away in this battle and Abraham went in pursuit and recovered recovered everything and on his way back he runs into this figure Melchizedek king of Salem and priest of the most high God and Abraham pays him a 10% tithe of the plunder from the battle and Melchizedek then in turn blesses him so no big deal so far just the retelling of an event that happened and uh, perhaps the first theological handle that we have in the Bible relating to Melchizedek is a distinction. And so let's look at that real quick. I'm reading from Genesis chapter 14. After Abram returned from his victory over Kedorlaomer and all his allies, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shiva, that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem and a priest of God most high, brought Abram some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. 
Blessed be Abram, by God Most High, Creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give back my people who were captured, but you may keep for yourself all the goods you have recovered. Abram replied to the king of Sodom, I solemnly swear to the Lord God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, that I will not take so much as a single thread or sandal thong from what belongs to you. Otherwise, you might say, I am the one who made Abram rich. I will accept only what my young warriors have already eaten, and I request that you give a fair share of the goods to my allies, Anar, Eshkol, and Mamre. Okay, so before we can point out the distinction, we just have to understand what's going on here. Abram has met God. God has invited Abram into a land that he would be shown, and he's following God's directions. Understand, Abraham's not following scriptures. He's not referring to prophecies. He's None of that has happened yet. So the Bible that we are reading hasn't happened yet at all. But Abram knows who he who he's following and that his entire destiny is based upon that relationship because he's left behind his home and all of the resources and culture that he's used to navigating and he's away from all of that and he's pursuing the direction of the God who introduced himself to him so he's clear that his life is in God's hands so we have the king of Salem who is a priest of the Most High God who's coming out and blesses Abram. Of course, Abram, in rescuing his kin, Lot, also saves the necks of a bunch of kings, one of them the king of Sodom, who expects that he will have to reward Abram for what he's done and is trying to negotiate that deal. Abram makes a distinction. He gives a tie, the tenth, to Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, but tells the king of Sodom he won't take anything. He's not taking anything from anyone in terms of plunder, because in no way is he leaving the door open that later someone will be able to say they made Abram, right? They made Abraham who he, who he is. Abram is acknowledging God alone. So we can say that, we can say that solidly, and that's our first introduction to Melchizedek. Abraham makes a distinction between the king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, and the other kings. So who is this guy, and does his name mean something? According to the scriptures, Melchizedek is the king of Salem, or Salem, also known as Jerusalem, or Jerusalem, or Yerushalayim. So Melchizedek is a Canaanite king who rules the region and city of Jerusalem, also known as Salem. And the majority of biblical scholars would agree on that. What does his name mean? So Melchizedek, 
the king of righteousness. Or maybe more literally, my king is righteous. Or maybe even more literally, my king is right. And that's it. Melchizedek only shows up one other time in the Old Testament by name. And that is found in the Psalms. Psalm 110 verse 4, which reads, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And thoughts about this begin to spray off in all kinds of different directions from there. And I mean, you can see how. The order of Melchizedek? What is that? I mean, that sounds like the title to a thriller, does it not? I mean, what is the Order of Melchizedek, and how does one get into the club? So we have to first acknowledge that a lot of things happen between Abraham and King David writing Psalms. Right? So Abraham has Isaac. Isaac then uh, sires Jacob and Esau. Jacob's name changes to Israel. He has kids. They become the children of Israel. They're enslaved in Egypt. They're freed from Egypt. They wander in the wilderness. They come into the promised land. That is the conquest. We go through generation after generation after generation of judges. And then kingship is introduced into the culture with King Saul. And then comes David. So a lot happens between the two times Melchizedek is named in the Old Testament. And even though a lot has happened, a lot of ground has been covered and a a lot of years have passed, Melchizedek doesn't disappear from their thoughts. Even though he's only mentioned two times in the Old Testament, far apart in history, he's still being referred to. Why would that be? Why would this obscure event in Abraham's life that refers to an ancient Canaanite king who happened to be a priest of the Most High God continue forward in the culture extra-biblically throughout all these generations all the way down to King David writing a song. So there could be all kinds of explanations. But from a scholarship perspective, I think this is what holds the most water. Melchizedek is the first priest named in the Bible. And he is a priest of the Most High God, King of Salem. In David's time, priests could only come from the tribe of Levi as mandated by the Mosaic Law. And yet Melchizedek was most certainly not a Levite because Levi hadn't been born yet in Abraham's time when this incident happened. So in Abraham's time, there is no Mosaic law because Moses hasn't been born and there are no Levites because Levi hasn't been born. And yet Melchizedek is a priest of the Most High God, but most definitely not a Levite. But the Bible makes it clear that he's a king. So Melchizedek is a priest of the Most High God who is also a king. So when David writes Psalm 110, and he he pens this song and writes these lyrics under the inspiration of God, a statement is being made. David is to be a priestly king in the order of Melchizedek. So, like Melchizedek was. And it so happens that David is king in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. 
the same city. So David is a king who is aligned with the priesthood. So maybe not occupying the office and the function of the Levitical priesthood, but nevertheless, the priesthood before God. And this is a bit of a big deal from a theological and from a cultural perspective in David's time because they do have the Torah, they have the Mosaic Law, and it's the underpinning of their entire society. And priests can only be Levites. And yet David is to be a priestly king. And the way that this can work is that David is being set aside by God, like Melchizedek, in the order of Melchizedek. To serve in that role, even though he's from the tribe of Judah and not the tribe of Levi. Okay, so I have to take a small bunny trail that applies directly to this. So probably the most compelling theological understanding would uh, place us back in the life of Moses. So we know the story of Moses and you know his childhood and him being placed in the river in a wicker basket and being raised by Pharaoh's daughter and ending up killing an Egyptian and having to flee for his life and all of this. And the next thing you know, Moses is before a burning bush and God is calling him to set his people free from slavery in Egypt. And God is telling him to go and Moses is resisting. He's saying, uh, you know, he's giving every excuse. And his main excuse is, I don't know how to speak. Like, I'm not a public speaker. I don't know how to do this. And God's telling him, you really don't have to do anything but just obey me. Like, I'll put the words in your mouth. It's all good. You don't have to worry about this. And Finally, Moses is like, send someone else. Please send somebody else. Which for me is one of the, you know, this is a very sad scene in the Bible because of how much it imitates our own lives. But in the end, God relents and sends Moses' brother Aaron to be the mouthpiece. And this is where we see sort of like this dual role, a priestly role and a governor or a kingly role. Moses and Aaron make up the two pieces, but that is more like the plan B, right? So the plan A was that Moses would be empowered by God to lead his people and would be the mouthpiece of God to those people. In other words, a priestly governor, a priestly ruler, a priestly king. So in other words... Melchizedek was a priestly king of the Most High God. Moses would have been invited into that, but didn't enter into it. But then God invites David into that role. Once kings are introduced into the story of Israel. And that is where I'm going to stop for today. We're going to read about Melchizedek in the book of Hebrews extensively tomorrow and we'll pick this up then once we have a little bit more new testament context uh, to the story so father we thank you for the beauty of your word and as we apply our minds and hearts to all of its nuances and intricacy we invite your holy spirit among us we thank you for this gift we love you father and worship you We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. DailyAudioBible.com is the website. It's on base. It's where you find out what's going on around here. 
If you want to partner with the Daily Audio Bible, then as I say often, uh, often I can't thank you enough. Thank you for your partnership. There's a link on the homepage of dailyaudiobible.com. Or if you prefer, the mailing address is P.O. Box 1996, Spring Hill, Tennessee, 37174. And as always, if you have a prayer request or comment, 877-942-4253 is the number to dial. And that's it for today. I'm Brian. I love you. And I'll be waiting for you here tomorrow. Hi, Daily Audio Bible family. This is Kyle in Pennsylvania. And I'm calling in to ask for prayer for my daughter, Uh, Her name is Riley, and she is three years old, and she has Down syndrome and some heart conditions. And on November 14th, she's going to get her second heart surgery, and uh, this is a pretty big one. It um, uh, Basically, one side of her heart um, is not functioning and filling the way it should, and so they're hoping that they can... Uh, kind of build a little bit of a wall and let that side um, start to function the way it should um, and that they would be able to rebuild her heart then uh, to a fully functioning heart Um, and this would be the the best outcome because um, other options um, just usually aren't as ideal for children with Down syndrome so uh, this is kind of what we've been hoping and praying for all along um, but it is, you know, a pretty big heart surgery, and she's um, three, and, uh, a little over three and a half years old. Um, so it's it's hard to see her go in for that. Um, and so if you could just uh, keep her and us in your prayers, uh, that God would be with the surgeons and uh, guide them, and that God would be with her and her body and help keep her strong, and that this uh, surgery would go well, and that we'd get the results that we're hoping for and that um, that she would just come out strong and healthy on the other side. Thank you. Good morning, my darling family. It's Susan from Canada, God's Yellow Flower Calling. I love you all so much. I pray, uh, Lord God, over um, uh, searching for beauty as she is going through so much right now. I pray your strength be with her, your healing touch be with her, that your peace be with her, Lord God, as as she uh, goes through these cancer treatments. I also pray for her daughters, dear Lord God, that you would just open their eyes and so they may see your beauty, they may see your love for them, they may see your peace and want that for themselves. Indwell those girls, dear God, indwell them with the power of your Holy Spirit that they may um, seek you with all their heart and find you, dear Lord, and find what you want to do uh, with their life. Help them to walk in obedience to you, Lord, every moment of every day of their life. We just lift these three ladies up to you, dear God, and ask you to bless them mightily with your righteous right hand. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Good morning, my fam. It's Susan from Canada, God's Yellow Flower Calling. I want to pray for Frances, who's having such a hard time with this ulcer in her leg. And um, 
arthritis. So Lord God, we just lift up Francis to you and her wonderful son. We ask that you bless them both, Lord God, with the love that surpasses all understanding, the peace that surpasses all understanding, knowing that you are, are the giver of life, you are the giver of love and peace. And Lord God, we pray for healing over Francis, that this um, ulcer would be healed and that this arthritis would just be taken away from her. We pray, dear Heavenly Father, that she will leap out of the bed and dance for joy, giving praise to your holy name. We pray this all in the blessed and most wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Salutations. Oh, Father God, you see the emotions, you see the questions, you see the fear. This man, he called in at two hours and 21 minutes, Father, and he's asking us to lift up his wife who just got this diagnosis of cancer and they've missed it for so long. God, I've been there and I lift them up to you, Lord. And I ask that you would calm the doubts, that you would pour your oil upon them, Father. Bless them with your joy, your discernment, Father. Calm their fears, Lord. Hold them in your hands and let them know that it's not too far gone. They told me the same thing. I was diagnosed stage four. And I'm still here over 12 years later. So Lord, I'm asking if you would do the same kind of miracle for her that you did for me. In Jesus' name I pray and I thank you because I know you can do it. In Jesus' name, amen.